1: To a losing edition of the Warriors All-82 Podcast. The Warriors <laughs> lost the home game to the Knicks, so I, I sent out the bat signal to, to the man who loves to... Uh, <laughs> the,
2: the, the king loser. <laughs> yes, yeah, to, to,
1: to, con- to uh, pontificate after Warriors' losses. No, <laughs>
2: Um, We booked this ahead of time. It should have been a W. We did. We did
1: did book it ahead of time. So maybe you called this rookie referee and said, hey, I need something done here tonight. Eject Draymond Green. Um,
2: We can get to the reasons why the Warriors lost, but I think,
1: I mean... Fans One like the to main- talk
2: about ref miscues. That's what I know about this business. Yeah. that They, they, they want to hear about the reasons, but they also they they do like to lament just an obvious ref screw-up, so we should spend some time on it.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, like, look, if, if people want to argue that the refereeing was poor with the fouling, I wouldn't agree, right? I think the Warriors did foul a bunch. Steve Kerr clearly thinks that. But, I mean, when you eject... You know, the second best player on a team who has eight assists in the first half and has been really at the core. Of the Warriors season being stabilized um, and you do that in the first half of a very close game yeah that has a large impact on the game Um, and it was you know it's funny with Draymond Green I've had conversations with him in the past about how he doesn't mind getting the first technical because it usually scares the referees enough into like knowing oh I can't give him a second technical (laughs) because if I give you know and then he'll like you'll see it where he'll get the first and then he'll kind of push the line more and keep arguing with them because it's like (laughs) man they're going to have to write a report they're gonna be in the spotlight if they give him the second uh you know technical <laughs> and eject him. Um so, so so I have seen him not get ejected with one technical where he's really pushing the limit. Tonight he was mad at James Wiseman uh for some like, you know, I guess ill timed post pass, and I guess he said like catch the effing ball or something well, like that
2: that. that. that that's what's so funny to me is that there's just been such an over the top and it's it's a cool storyline, so I get it. But the way it's done, obviously, by the by the local team on mentor Draymond taking James Wiseman's career in his hands, schooling him in the ways of basketball, <laughs> and then it's just him yelling and cursing at him for not catching the ball, which obviously he wanted to catch the ball, and that was just kind of funny to me. Uh, that yeah, that was <laughs> so, so much so that the referee goes,
1: "Oh my gosh, is he yelling at me? You're gone."
2: I don't think that I don't think that's what happened. By the way, I mean, in my what, theory. What do- What is your theory? I would love to hear. I think he pissed that ref off. I think that ref was waiting for a pretext. And the ref screwed up because the pretext was false. I mean, if he had just waited a few minutes, he would have found a legit one. But I think he was working that guy's last nerve and then he seized upon this event that had nothing to do with him. And maybe in the end this is going to help Draymond out because if he's all about this, I like risking it and being able to push on that second tech. Now it's a known thing that he was falsely ejected with the second technical. That's even more in the minds of the referees. So even if it doesn't help the Warriors in this particular game, uh, it might help Draymond and the Warriors as a lobbyist in the future.
1: Yeah. But it hurts in the moment because every yes. win against uh, a team you should beat is important in a season where you are, you know, you're in a crowded Western Conference where mm-hmm. really three results might swing you from the five seed to the eight, might swing yeah. you from the seven
2: seed oh, to the ten. Uh, you every know, game matters for yeah. this team. This is this is not this is not last year, and it's not the five years before it. Every game matters for this team because you never know. I mean this is a team where you don't know if Steph, God forbid, tweaks something and misses some time, that's going to ruin your playoff chase. So you need every win you can get, and they are a middling team, which means that you win some games unexpectedly, you lose some games unexpectedly, and you probably, I think they just have to hover around that 500 mark and then hopefully have enough cohesion to make a push to get some separation. Um, But yeah, it's, it's not nothing to lose this game.
1: Yeah, and I mean we can now kinda get into the reasons. So I mean, first of all, they had a really bad defensive quarter with Draymond. I, it's funny, I actually came into the night wanting planning to write about Draymond Green's defensive clear defensive importance. If you looked at the numbers coming in, they were like one oh three four rating in his two hundred something minutes, two hundred seventy, I think. And they were like one eleven rating in his four hundred minutes off. And it yeah. was like the difference between an elite defense and like a bottom ten defense. Um but and I mean, you saw it some in the second half, and like I think you're going to see it all season. Uh, but they, Nick scored 40 points in the first quarter with Draymond yeah. on the court for most of it. Uh, Didn't they were he
2: ho- do like a like he had a he did a take foul in a situation where I don't usually see him do a take foul. and I misremembering that in the uh, in the early action? That might have been a signal that I, this was not going to be as locked in um, a game as, as certainly the uh, the one before it. Um, yeah. And that's part part of what I
1: wanted to write about a lot fuller and ended up did kind of slipping into the post game thing I wrote was like he needs to be at his top defensive level for like 70 to 80% of the season and there's games this year where, like, Denver, he was, like, really, like, negative defensively, uh, yeah. and they lost that. And tonight, you know, he had eight assists. I, like, I thought he was actually having a pretty good first half, but defensively, clearly, like, oh. he wasn't all the way there.
2: His best demonstration of value is what happened when he uh, got ejected. I mean, yes. it was like you take the, the uh, Jenga piece out and the whole tower falls apart. It's just amazing how valuable somebody who doesn't score at all is uh, to a team. It's it's really quite incredible, and not only that. To what you're saying, they need him to be engaged, not just present, but actually present and engaged. And that might be that might be a big burden, considering some of the bumps and bruises he's had over the years, and considering what his body has been through. I think him and Steph both. It's something they need to be careful with. It's a lot of burden on those two guys, and there's some nice stuff happening uh, with the bench doing a little better than maybe expected that can take some of the burden off but i do wonder and i think there's concern about that when you think about this team season
1: yeah, um, Let's get into the second half. So he gets tossed. I think it, it was 55-55 at one point right before the ejection. I believe at the moment he got ejected, it was 60-55. So despite the 40-point first quarter by the Knicks, the second unit was good to start the second quarter. Uh, well, good is strong. Poole you know, was bricking some threes, uh, mm. which you know I don't know why he's I, – I do know why Kerr is playing him. Uh, over Mulder, I'm just not yeah, sure I agree over, with
2: it. Yeah, pull over Mulder is, I think, a questionable one.
1: Yeah. um, And, you know, we got other rotation questions in the second half, too. But, mm-hmm. you know, anyway, so he leaves at sixty fifty five. It's, I think it was maybe nine and a half. I don't know exactly. Wait,
2: wait. Let me, I'm, I'm going to make my guess as to what the questionable one in your mind is. Because you are a loony hater, and I am a loony defender. Is it is it the Wiseman for loony substitution? Is that no, the it's, one?
1: No, it's not,
2: actually. Yeah. But is that, is that one wasn't a good one, I think. That one kind of turned things. But yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I think it will. Well, look, I just, I mean, he starts Pascal in, in Green's place to, to open the second half. And it seems logical in the moment because, look, Pascal kind of plays the same position as Draymond theoretically, but we saw Pascal in the starting lineup to open the season against the Nets and Bucks. It worked terribly. At this point, I think we can kind of say Eric Pascal's a center. He's not even a power forward anymore. Um, He he really, yeah.
2: He's Montrez Harrell. I mean, that's that's what he is in a different way.
1: Yeah, he really only works on this team in lineups that don't include looney don't include wiseman and at this point like he could place ball ball where it's him and draymond out there but it's clear he's most productive when draymond's not out there either right it's him and a bunch of wings that kind of spread the floor wings and guards um so you know i i don't necessarily love him next to wiseman t- to open the second half and then um he, nico Mannion.
2: <laughs> by the way oh yeah I, well you know i that was yeah, that, that was that was questionable, but at least it was entertaining. I mean, at least I was like, okay, I, I, now I'm very interested oh, in this yeah. game.
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, he came in, and I was like, okay, what are you going to do here? Oh, well, that was interesting. And Nico Mannion actually had four assists in eight minutes. They were like a minus seven
2: in his eight minutes. I thought, uh, you know, I, I frankly, I thought he played pretty well. Yeah. I, I think that, I think he that Looney... He missed two threes, but yeah. Yeah, I think Looney coming in kind of messed with the Nico Mannion, what he was operated with. It was like, it, it felt like he was... Is, uh, he was operating on all pro and then they ramped it up to all Madden right there when it came to running <laughs> an offense to take yeah. Wiseman out and to replace him with Looney which I, I think Looney does a lot of great things but love it a lot of that is founded on this chemistry with Steph and there's not a lot to work with if you are a very green point guard getting thrown into the action and suddenly instead of this uh, lob gravity threat of Wiseman you, you have Looney so I think that that look he's he's a rookie There the the chances of him being good were not were not big when
1: he was thrown into yes, the action. He didn't he did not lose them the game. That is for <laughs> sure. Um, I probably would have just started the second half with like Damian Lee instead of Pascal. Kept the second unit you know smooth and honestly, I probably what I probably would have done is go Damian Lee. Um, Instead of Pascal, and then when you take Wiseman out in the middle of the third, like you normally would, just bring Pascal in, skip Looney for the second half, and just try to go kind of fast up and down, either small ball center or Wiseman. Yeah. Which honestly, I might advocate on most nights. Like I, I kind of think. Well, you know,
2: this is where we where yeah. they're trying to just break out of the Thibodeau vice grip, right? You know, you got to run past this half court defense of the Knicks, these scrappy Knicks. It would have made. Even more sense. So yeah, I would agree. I, I agree with every, all your lineup takes right now. I, I agree with them to the point where I'm not even defending the Looney insertion in that in that case. I think they should have. It felt like they were getting momentum at that at that point. They were finding something, and it was uh it was maybe gelling. And then it just seems like they're very regimented as to when Wiseman comes in and when Wiseman comes out. And it just seemed like that was the time that Wiseman comes out, and so it just had to be that.
1: Yeah, I think they should go a lot more night to night with him, um, and yep. you know, opponent to opponent too, right? When you're playing the Spurs and Knicks, although you know he did, he wasn't great with the Mitchell Robinson lob game over the top. He called it the yeah. cat and mouse post game that he's trying to learn. That,
2: that was more at the end, though. I think yeah, that was more that where things kind of fell apart. I do have some commentary on on him. And it seems like he's doing a better job offensively, but defensively it seems like he's really fading. And he's he was talking about after the game that he's trying to communicate. So I think he it just might be sensory overload with him, but it seems like they've tried to get him to stop fouling and they've told him, Hey, you're big, just put your hands up. But he's almost interpreted that literally, where he's just putting his hands up and he's, he's not. He's so he,
1: afraid to foul. He's just definitely afraid to foul,
2: and, right and now. this is the NBA. The the other you know the players coming at him, they can see that it's pretend defense. I think like they, they there's a difference. Like there is a difference between the sort of fake like I'm going to close out or block your shot, like Draymond does. Um, you know sometimes he pulls the chair. It's like a different way of pulling the chair where he runs up and then he doesn't do anything and the guy smokes the layup because he's surprised. And what Wiseman's doing where it's just. I, I, hey, from my couch, it's just very obvious that he's not actually going to try to block the shot, and I think that was a problem for them tonight.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we talked about it some on the the Warriors Plus Minus Fuller podcast, but it's like they, I think in the long term, all the lessons that they're cramming into his head will be good. But I mean, yeah. they've overloaded him with information. They've overloaded yep. him with suggestions and and takes. And I mean, it's Draymond Green roaring in his face. It's Theo Robertson and Krista DeMarco, who I think are doing a good
2: job behind the scenes. Shout out, shout yeah. out. I didn't like when, when I said that the development team was on the clock. It seemed like a shot at those guys. I think those two are very competent and good at their job so i do want to establish that uh (laughs) shout out chris demarco at theo robertson and frankly wiseman as zach lowe was saying um if they redo the draft is going one or two i mean this is he is playing beyond expectations according to mike schmitz and i would agree with that so i think we need to there does need to be some patience you see the roller coaster on warriors twitter of he's bad he's great he's bad he's great and I think overall at age 19 I think it's it's more good than bad. That's what I'm saying. Overall way more good, way more potential than bad. Yeah.
1: Um but uh, and again like I actually think a lot of these lessons will benefit the 2021-22 Warriors might even benefit the Warriors of a month from now but I, I in the moment you know he's saying well Draymond Green's telling me never be to be the first person to jump always be the second person to jump um, and I think that's some you know you could tell he's like almost crawling over there like okay he's gonna come at my hip now don't jump don't jump and then the guy mm. shoots a leg makes it and then he's like okay now I jump <laughs> <And it's> like, <laughs> you know but that's a rookie center
2: right it's just the life of rookie center it's how perception works like you when you're when we're overloaded we don't notice certain things and there are a bunch of experiments that they've performed mm -hmm. like this where they throw a bunch of distractions and you don't you don't miss somebody in just a crazy costume walking across the stage because you're following everything else I mean this is this is known and I do think that Wiseman's not the most intuitive player Um, there's a lot that he's still learning, but the great thing about him is by all accounts, he's very willing to learn. And that's also a big deal. And you don't hear it. You don't hear it about everybody. Um, not even everybody on this team. And so I, I, I'm encouraged, you know, I'm encouraged. And the thing he has, and I think it's easy to discount because people say tools and yeah, tools, but there's something else, which is, Literally nobody can get higher off a flat-footed jump in the NBA. I I can't name somebody. I think I, I put that out there on Twitter. I I can't really think of somebody who gets that high up there. And some was well, nine
1: foot nine foot six standing reach with athleticism. Um, yeah.
2: Whereas like Rudy
1: Gobert, I think has a slightly taller standing reach, but Rudy Gobert doesn't burst like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he, I mean,
2: yeah. It, it, that alley oop. In the game before, it was weird. It was like he got to the top. He got to the top of a ball he shouldn't have been able to get to, and then he went up just a little bit further. And that's just a a weapon, man. That's a weapon. And when it's honed properly and when he gets better, um, it could be profound for them. So I'm more... I, I'm more of a Wiseman optimist than a Wiseman pessimist, and a friend of ours who's a very savvy, uh, you know, very very savvy basketball analyst I think disagrees, and we'll do a podcast on that in the future. But yeah, I'm I'm more more good than bad when it comes to how he's playing. At the same time, I do think the way he's playing defense had a role in this particular loss. <sighs> Discovered the latest collections from David Yerman, as
1: seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful, designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless, modern collections for women and men, defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Let's get to the fouling, because Steve Kerr went absolutely Ballistic on it post game, I would say. I mean, that was like they've had seven losses now. That was by far the most pissed he's been after a loss, which I didn't even think it was their worst loss. Like the Pacers one probably was, like the one that they probably should have had and didn't. Um, Mm -hmm. But he's clearly just getting really frustrated with their fouling. They are. Averaging now about 24 fouls per game, which is second most um, in the league. Only the Wizards uh, commit more fouls. And, like, the Wizards are the worst defense of basketball and haven't played in, like, a week. Um, And then – Opponent free throw. Same. They're giving up 29 opponent free throws per game, uh, and they were over their averages tonight against the Knicks. They had that sequence in the start of the fourth quarter where they fouled four times in um, 13 seconds and gotten the bonus before the 11 minute mark, which is like, you know, I'm sure that's not a record, but could be. Um, mm. And uh, it's just it's uh, repetitive, you know. They they're there's a reason why they average as many as they do. And he blamed it. You know, look, they have a rookie center. That's going to be, like, a, a persistent issue. Um, they have, you know, Oubre and and Wiggins and and, got, and Steph Curry, who's an overreacher, right? So, like, they're going to naturally, I'd say, probably be pretty high in fouls this year. But it's, it's overdone right now. They need to cut... You know, four per game. They need to cut down opponent free throws by about five, six, seven. If they really want to be a top ten defense, uh, how bad is it? In like, it was this just a one night thing to you that you notice it, or like, are you really? Have you been noticing?
2: It? I guess. I guess it's weird to say them, right? They because there are different players doing different things. It's not like. They've all caught the fouling, you know, the the, the fouling cold. I, I so I think we should be a little more granular about it. Is he mad at Bazemore? You know, is that what's happening? Is he mad at Steph? Did he not think that uh that Steph was fully competing? That's where my mind goes when I think about this because I just don't I just don't think about them as just a fouling a fouling team. That's generally just coming from a few from a few guys.
1: Well, well, guess what? I looked up the uh, numbers because for the post game they actually have one, two, three, four, five, six guys in the top seventy-eight in the league in fouls per thirty-six minutes right now. And that <laughs> so was before maybe, By maybe, the way, that was before tonight. These guys might have jumped higher. Was,
2: so, so I stand corrected. Maybe they are just a just a fouling kind of team.
1: So <laughs> let's get. I want you to guess. I know him obviously. I'm looking at the list right now. Who is number one on their team? And he is. Entering the night was ninth in the NBA in fouls per 36 minutes, six per
2: uh, 36 minutes. Uh, Wy- that's Wiseman.
1: That is James Wiseman, who is second. He's 20th in the NBA. He's averaging five fouls per 36 minutes.
2: Oh, man. This is – now I'm be- – I knew Wiseman was six, but, like, now I'm like, ah, God, is it – I mean, it – Friend it of the season pass- program. Oh, it's Looney?
1: Kevon Looney. So their centers are fouling like crazy. Yeah. And, you know, Looney, that's that's physical limitations. I mean, we know he's like mm-hmm. a smart defender, but he's just – sometimes he just has to foul or else, you know, yeah. larger, you know, more athletic opponent will score if he doesn't foul. Um, okay, third is Draymond um, at 4.1. Uh,
2: fourth is a guy you've already mentioned. Do you want to guess or do you want me to just tell you? A guy, a guy I've already mentioned uh, – is, I mean is Pascal rack up the fouls I'm trying to remember. He's like not.
1: A, he uh he's 110th in the league. So he wasn't among the, the He stat, needs I the guess.
2: foul more. Some guys need to foul more. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I'm actually shocked
1: Steph is not even close. Steph is like not fouling. He's 197th in the league. He's only fouling 2.3 so, times. So Bazemore Baze was the guy you were going to Bazemore's so. fourth. Yes. Yeah. Uh Damian Lee is fifth, um and Brad Wanamaker is sixth. Um, mm. So this, they just got a lot of rotation players right now who are just – they're hacking. Um, yeah.
2: You know, though, I I don't know. I mean, I, I we need something a little – this is when it's really good to be around the team because I think Steve will be a little more specific with what's going on because some of those are sins of – well, what, what, what's the phrase I'm even looking for? That you want the effort, you want them going for it, trying to turn teams over, and some of those guys are in units that have been doing pretty well, right? It's not, it's not the starters where that's been, that's been the persistent problem. So, um, yeah, I, but yeah, it does seem to be a broader problem than just a few guys. I, I stand corrected. It's a very, it's a very strange, it's a very strange issue, and I don't know whether to chalk it up to the roster. Or what I often keep saying this season, which is weird year. It's is a very weird year. This is a, a season unlike any season.
1: Yeah, it is. And to be honest, like I know that's besides the Draymond ejection was the story of the night, right? This like persistent fouling issue that that Kerr went ham on in post game. But um, I don't know. I, I I'm really not that concerned about that specific stat um or flaw right now. It's interesting. I it mean, that's
2: that's what's great about a. A middling team, and they're literally middling right now. Is that something's always going right and something's always going wrong? You know, there's a lot to analyze when it comes to a team that's that's hovering around 500, and that's that's an interesting one. And of course, the worry is is that if you if you chew them out for fouling, then you don't want too much passivity, and so it makes it a little a little interesting for the next game as to how they're going to approach it.
1: As they go to Utah and play, face a uh, tough jazz team, well, I think they're now maybe 11 and four. They're shooting mm. the three like crazy. Have you seen the Utah's um, three-point percentage team-wide? I think it's like 43% or something I like that.
2: I saw Donovan Mitchell was the fastest player to get to 500 threes, which is strange because I don't really think of him as a – as a sniper, um, yeah. so that was yeah, that was a, that was an odd one. Um, I want to see that Gobert Wiseman matchup. That's what I'm interested in. Yeah, for sure. He's
1: got a lot of interesting center matchups coming up. Um, anything else about this team that uh, you want to get into? You sounded like you you, you might have wanted to soapbox a little Marcus Thompson. Uh, oh take.
2: yeah, yeah. So to set the sta- set the <clears throat> sorry uh, to set the stage for people who are not living life on twitter but who listen to the podcast uh marcus uh our, our beloved colleague last night at the moment of this recording or we should say after the spurs game uh he was doing a story on Ubre's tip dunks and so he was asking each player about the tip dunks and because marcus is so good at the banter and he's just so at ease in those situations. He was actually making the press conferences a lot more, a lot more fun, in my opinion. I was enjoying seeing what some of the players' responses he were. He does every how, time. He, yeah,
1: he he always uh, adds to the presses. yeah.
2: And and you know, I, I learned that Wiggins thinks that Ubre might. The way Wiggins was talking made me think that he thinks Ubre has more athleticism than him, which was a little bit interesting to me. But, um, so at so su- at one point. In the Steph press conference, uh, Marcus begins his Steph question. He goes, Wardell. And I didn't think anything of it because I've seen Marcus address Steph that way a bunch of times. I mean, th- there really aren't many relationships between uh, writer and athlete that are as uh, that, as lengthy in one area and as deep as, as Marcus and Steph. And so... I see Steph look up, kind of a, huh? And that look that Steph had, in my opinion, at that moment was, oh, here's Marcus. He's going to, you know, here comes the test. What's the test? I mean, that's how I read it. But then it goes onto Twitter. I think maybe Drew Schiller clips it. I don't know. And next thing I know, I'm looking at Twitter, and it's the number two trending topic in America. (laughs) what the that hell did,
1: that did shock me you know what it, it, it was and it was the second time this week because um i'd ask him after the i asked him after the lakers game about the wiseman struggles and he 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 had the ac law comment and ac yep. law was trending the entire next day
2: um wow. so i it, i have a take about this but before i get to the take about how that happens it's just bizarre to see everybody layer this. Con- I'm, I interrupted you though. It's your podcast. Wait, wait. I no, want to go you to didn't interrupt
1: song. me. I was just saying, like, it was the second time this week that, uh, in a you know, innocuous, like, you know, real, relatively entertaining post game moment in a Steph Curry Zoom that, like, you when the AC Law one happened, I didn't think was like, you know, some crazy comment. It turns into like some. Trending Twitter topic. I thought that I just wanted to add that into it because it was the second time this week, but continue uh, yeah. down the Wardell uh, path.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was so bizarre because I see people reacting with this context they imagine happened and it doesn't, it, it just doesn't have any bearing on it. And they, it's interesting to see it take shape because people want it to be what they want it to be. And so it becomes that. And it becomes that Steph was offended or put off that marcus used his government name which i can assure you has happened like hundreds of times i mean it's it's this is not unusual at all but that's what people wanted it to be and completely bizarre all these people saying you know what bad things about marcus not knowing anything about him at all the la
1: times Um, wrote some like odd blog post about it
2: Yeah, about how you can tell that they had a relationship before, but it must be Frosty now or some such, which, you know, if you had seen the answer to the question, it's clearly not true. Just not, not at all. And... I mean, I think—hey, I think I can be—I can speak as an expert of when a player is mad at me in a press conference. I think I am—I think I might be an authority to speak on this matter, that that's just not the case. And so I look at it not mad or, you know, oh, my God, Marcus's reputation has been tarred. It's more—this is just bizarre. This is so weird to have been on the Zoom call to see the actual thing play out and then to see it become the number two trending topic in America— when it's this completely mundane, misunderstood interaction. And you know what the ultimate takeaway is, Anthony? You know what the ultimate takeaway is? Welcome Steph's- to the internet in 2021. Yeah, that would no, be my no. takeaway. Steph's back. Steph's back, man. Steph is back. It's he been does a while. Head-
1: are you talking about from like a headline yeah. creation standpoint?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, the, the AC Law one, like I said, I mean, that, that thing blew up. Yeah, the fascination is back. You know, Steph says that in passing mid middle of the season last season, I don't think anybody really cares. But it's Steph Curry is Steph Curry again. He can go out there and he can score potentially sixty points. And this thing, you know, this thing is now I mean, people are kind of it could be really big for the NBA. You know, if the Warriors take off, we're looking at them right now. They're at this uh this five hundred mark. It's it's potentially eight and seven, eight and seven. Sorry yeah not five it's great math by me. Um but they're at this kind of middling place and if they get some separation, if they turn it on, I think it's uh it's potentially huge for the league because Steph Curry is a superstar who commands an inordinate amount of interest from the general public. That's my take.
1: Yeah, and I mean you still have Draymond Green, who has a. Every, anytime he steps onto a, a press conference setting, he's going to, you know, have three viral quotes himself, you know, to varying yeah. degrees of viral, but he, you know, has some very noteworthy national quotes. Steve Kerr uh, very much makes news and electrifies his fan base in other ways, too. <laughs> um, and then say what you want about Wiseman's growth path. He's an interesting rookie to add into this mix with just, you know, the occasional unbelievable highlight. He he himself, I think, is is, uh, shown uh, an emerging personality in the way he's um, handled the Draymond um, mentorship uh, and just his background. Right. The Penny Hardaway aspect of it all. It's just um, they can be interesting. Now, you have to be good to maintain. Yes, that's the the thing. They have that, to be good. And I don't mean have, like win the title, but like playoffs they, and like a threat in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, they've got to. If, if they get in the playoffs, you know, my fascination with ratings. That's a huge swing factor for the NBA. I mean, this is in in the interest it commands. I think it's even more so than the Lakers. No offense to your other team um and if they're good it's it's just potentially huge and if they fizzle out and they don't make the postseason i do think that that really impacts the general public's uh capacity for tuning in to the nba playoffs. so yeah it's um it's that's that's my main thing that's my main thing it's
1: i would agree and it would give them a nice little cushion going into next year too right because if they're if they're a playoff team, and they're dangerous enough. And Wiseman grows enough, and Curry and Draymond still look, you know, late prime instead of past prime. They get, going the, into fourth, next they get the
2: fourth overall pick from the Wolves. Yeah, and then
1: the you Jay, have the you have the Jaylen Clay Thompson Suggs. return into a Chase Center that has never seen this team. Right, it's seen five, whatever three Steph Curry games ever. I mean, with fans in Jay Center, um, and Clay Thompson's never even played there. That By would be a By pulsating
2: way, environment next year. Ke- Kevin Durant looking amazing. I, need, I this doesn't mean that the injuries are the same, right? But it gives you a little bit of hope, you know? It makes you think, okay, maybe Clay will come back. He's a he's a shooter with size. He's not KD. I I look at the I look at how Kevin Durant is playing and I think, okay, maybe what if Clay comes back and you don't want to bet on it, but what if Clay comes back and he just hits the ground running? You know, it's possible. It's possible.
1: Well, this post game Knicks loss podcast went a lot of directions. I wasn't sure it was going to go, but uh, here we are. Ethan, yeah. thank you for uh, joining.
2: Yeah, hopefully it was more interesting than watching the game with all those fouls.
1: Tom Thibodeau loved it. That was oh, like a, yeah. one of Tom Thibodeau's favorite regular season
2: games since like the Bulls days. The but. gracious Tom Thib- Thibodeau. By the way, I was on that Zoom call afterwards, and he's just just lavishes his opponents with praise. It's. Uh, It's uh, the the gentleman, Tom Thibodeau. Anyway.
1: Anyway. All (laughs) right. All right. Uh, Ethan, thank you for coming on.
0: Thanks for having me.